Al-Bayan Radio presents the following special presentation. Inna alhamdulillah, nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'gfiruhu wa na'udhu billahi min shuroori anfusina wa sayyati a'malina man yahdihillahu falamudilla lah wa man yudlil falahadiya lah wa ashadu an la ilaha illa allahu wahdahu la sharika lah wa ashadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasooluh nuhayyikum bi tahiyyati al-islam assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh موضوع هذا المؤتمر الحداثة وموقفها من السنة النبوية الحداثة يعني مما ابتليت به هذه الأمة أنها ابتليت بقوم من جلدتها من جلدتها كلمون بألسنتها هذا القوم يطلقون على أنفسهم اسم الحداثيون 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 كما سيأتي في تعريفهم أولا يعني هذا هؤلاء الناس كما قلنا هم من ضمن هذه الأمة لكن يريدون أن يقطعوا علاقتهم بكل شيء قديم يريدون أن يقطعون أنفسهم عن الماضي كما سيأتي معنا أولا مفهوم لفظ الحداثة الحداثة هو مصدر للفعل حدث يحدث حدوثا وحداثة من معاني هذا يعني هذه الكلمة تستخدم على معان من أهمها الجديد وهو نقيض القديم أو الكلام والخبر هذه الكلمة الحداثة جاءت مذكورة في قول النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم عندما قال لعائشة لولا حداثة قومك بالكفر لنقضت البيت ولبنيته على أسس إبراهيم فإن قريشا استقصرت بناءه وجعلت له خلفا خلفا قال أحد الرواة يعني بابا هذا هو مصطلح الحداثة أي الجديد الجديد أما في مصطلح الحداثة بالمعنى الاصطلاحي الذي وضعوه على هؤلاء الناس هو معناه محاولة صياغة نموذج للفكر والحياة يتجاوز الموروث ويتحرر من قيوده يعني هم يريدون أن يوجدوا فكرا ونموذجا للحياة ليس له أي علاقة بالقديم هم يريدون أن يتجاوزوا القديم وأن يتحرروا من قيود القديم هذا يعني في زعمهم ليحقق تقدم الإنسان ورقيه بعقله ومناهجه العصرية الغربية لتطويع الكون لإرادته واستخراج مقدراته لخدمته بتلخيص لن تفهموا هذا الاصطلاح لكن هم يريدون يريدون أولا أن من الموروث القديم أي يقصدون بذلك الوحي أي ما جاء ذلك نستطيع أن نحقق للإنسان التقدم والرقي كيف, كيف السبيل إلى ذلك 
هم قالوا بعقله ومناهجه العصرية الغربية أي نستطيع أن نجد هذا المنهج وهذه الطريقة في الحياة باستخدام العقل ليس باستخدام الشرع وأن نستخدم المناهج العصرية الغربية من خلال العقل وهذه المناهج الغربية نستطيع أن نحقق تقدم الإنسان في هذا الكون هذا ما يريده الحداثيون في هذا الزمن بسم الله الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله We praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala We ask Allah to send his peace and blessings upon his final messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam The topic of the seminar is modernism and its attitude towards the sunnah or its attack on the sunnah and what the ummah has been trialed with you know and tested with is a new type of test uh, and that is from people who are within this ummah from this ummah from our own kind who call themselves muslims who want to reform or rethink and in reality they want to uh, change or remove what we know of the religion and replace it with a new understanding or a new form. And these people call themselves the modernists. And inshallah we'll get into the meaning or the definition of the modernists. But as we said that they are from amongst the Muslims. And we consider them from the Muslims, from our own kind, from our own background, born and raised as Muslims, and they identify and call themselves Muslims. But they want to cut themselves off from the historical attachment, from the historical attachment of the religion. And even the name uh, in Arabic is Hadathiyun, comes from the word Hadatha, which uh, pretty much means new, which is opposite to old. And as well, the word Hadatha means to speak or to talk, to initiate speech. So again, it has a link to that linguistic word hadatha or meaning something new it's used in arabic language even mentioned in the hadith of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam when he said to aisha radiyallahu anha when speaking about the quraysh and rebuilding the kaaba when he said lawla qawmuka hadith ahdin bi kufr or hadith ahdin bi islam he said had your people not been new newly leaving kufr or newly have accepting islam and he used the word hadith or hadath which means that they are new. But what these people mean in taking this title of new or modern is, is a new way of thinking, a new lifestyle, and this is what it is defined as, a new way of thinking, a new methodology or a new lifestyle that is liberated from the old. And to secure the progress of humanity and to bring out its potential to be a beacon for humanity. So if we look at this definition, first of all, when they, they want to make a new methodology, a new way of life, that's the first thing. And it is liberated from the old, meaning it is liberated from the text of the Quran and the Sunnah, that they don't want to be bound by the Quran and the Sunnah. They're not regulated by it. They're free to do as they wish. And in their thinking, that, that which will bring them progress and success 
and adopt like the West, like the Western mentality or thinking, a modern methodology that they think will bring them progress and worldly success. And reality, yani, what they wish is to make their own logic and thinking being the driving factor to uh, yani, what they think will bring progress is. Not to be bound by the Quran and the Sunnah and the teachings of, of what is good, but rather it goes back to their logic and their logical thinking. إذن النقاط التي النقاط والأسس التي ينطلق منها هؤلاء الناس كما قلنا هي اعتمادهم على العقل كمرجعية أولى يعني هم يعني يعظمون العقل ويعتبرونه المرجعية الأولى على يعني أصلا هم لا يعظمون الكتاب والسنة هم يعظمون العقل وينظرون إلى التراث هذه نقطة ثانية أنه سبب تخلف الأمة أنه سبب في تخلف الأمة وتأخرها أيضا من سماتهم من سماتهم كما مر معنا في التعريف أنهم منبهرون بالحضارة الغربية بالحضارة الغربية وما أنتجته من أفكار ومناهج إذا كثير من الحداثيين يتعاملون مع التراث بوحيه وبشريته على أنه يعني مصدر بشري مصدر بشري يقولون يعني أن التعظيم وهذه الهالة العظيمة التي حصلت للحديث إنما أطفاها شعور الصحابة بالمكان العالي للنبي صلى الله عليه وسلم لا لكون هذا الكلام وحيا بذاته بل هو صار يعني كذلك بإنزال الناس له هذه المنزلة بالمواضعة فهم يريدون حقيقة إسقاط, إسقاط الوحي يريدون يعني يريدون أن يبغضوا للناس السنة وأنها ليست بشيء وأنها ليست هي سببا لتقدم, لتقدم الأمة ولا سببا لنجاحها وفوزها في الدارين هذه هي السمات الأبرز التي يقوم عليها يعني مذهب الحداثيين The main points or the main fundamentals that the modernists uh, rely on is that they depend on thought or logic, their own uh, uh, logic as the primary reference uh, for their understanding or their priorities. Uh, they do not honor the Quran and the Sunnah as the primary reference. What's the primary reference most important is their understanding and their logic. The second point is that actually they look at the Quran and the Sunnah as the cause of backwardness for the Ummah. Uh, the third point is that we find with the modernists that they are amazed with the Western culture and what Western cult culture has produced of education and the methodologies and their lifestyles and their you know, technological uh, and worldly advancements. So these are the three main principles of the modernists uh, sort of we find in them as well uh, they see the holiness of the hadith to be man-made. 
and they attributed to the companions عنهم, and how they honored the Prophet وسلم, that has made this, this holiness towards the hadith. But they say that this is not in reality what it is and that the hadith is something that يعني, um, is, is not holy in itself um, and that it is you know, sort of man-made and therefore could, could be accepted or rejected. And so they don't have this honor for the sunnah and they consider the sunnah to be, you know, like anything that could be accepted or rejected. They don't have this high status and this holiness. So it doesn't have any significance or, or, or holy, uh, significance in its holiness. They just see it as nothing. And they don't see the sunnah as the cause of worldly success and uh, يعني, or, or even success in the hereafter. بالنسبة للساحة الإسلامية أو الساحة يعني العربية أو نقول الساحة الإسلامية بشكل عام هناك يعني ثلاثة أفكار رئيسية تتصارع فيما بينها حول يعني حول أزمة الأمة الراهنة وحول الخروج من هذه الأزمة كل هذه يعني هذه الطوائف السلاس كلها ترتكز حول التراث الإسلامي لكن بشكل مختلف فمثلا يذهب السلفيون إلى أن الإسلام هو الحل ويستشهدون كما تعلمون أنه, إنه من يعيش منكم فسيرى اختلافا كثيرا فعليكم بسنتي وسنة الخلفاء الراشدين المهديين من بعدي عضوا عليها بالنواجز إذا يعني هذه الطائفة ترى أن الحل للأمة هو بالرجوع إلى الأصل بالرجوع إلى ما كان عليه النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وما كان عليه خلفاؤه الراشدون والصحابة رضوان الله عليهم فإذا هم يرون أن هذا هو الحل للخروج بالأمة هذا هو الحل لنهضة الأمة بينما يرى الفريق الآخر الذي نتكلم عنه الحدثيون يرى أن القطيعة مع التراث هي الحل وأنه لا حل لهذه الأمة حتى يعني تنسى ماضيها وتتخلى عنه وتفكر في ما يعني أفكار ومناهج وتبدع يعني في هذا للنهوض بالأمة من كبواتها وهناك فريق آخر طائفة ثالثة التجديديون يقولون أن تجديد التراث هو الحل إذا تجتمع هذه التيارات الثلاثة في خطابين متمايزين عن بعضهما في النظر والتعاطي مع التراث الخطاب, الخطاب الحداثي بمختلف تياراته واتجاهاته والآخر هو الخطاب الإسلامي الخطاب الإسلامي بمختلف إنتاجاته ويعني الذي يجمعه أنه خطاب يعتمد على الأصول والثوابت من النصوص لينطلق منها في تشكيل نظرته وصياغته حلولا للواقع الراهن إذا هناك تمايز بين هذين الخطابين في تعاطيهما مع النصوص والتراث الإسلامي فالإسلامي ينظر إلى النص على أنه منشئ للمعرفة 
ومنتج لها ابتداء بينما الخطاب الحداثي لا يعد التراث ومنه النص يعني القرآن والسنة لا يعده منتجا للمعرفة ولا منشئا لها بداية فإذا بالنسبة للخطاب الإسلامي يرى أنه أن يعني التراث هو منشئ المعرفة هو يعني الأصل الذي ينبغي الرجوع والاعتماد عليه بينما يرى الطرف الآخر أنه يعني ليس يعني منتجا للمعرفة ولا منشئا لها بذاته ويجب التخلي عنه Um, in respect to like the, the, the realm of, of Muslims or in the Islamic field, in the Islamic world, uh, you see that there's three schools of thought that compete to solve the current crisis that we find the Muslim world in. And they all sort of come back to the same point. The first is the people call the people to the Uh, traditional understanding, the way of understanding Islam in the early generations or the, the, the understanding of the, the Salafi understanding. And this traditionalist uh, understanding says and claims that Islam is the solution to the crisis of the Muslims. And they're based on the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, where he said and he prophesied that in the future, Uh, whoever lives shall see much differing. So hold on to my sunnah and the sunnah of the Khulafa, the rightly guarded caliphs after me. And so they see this traditionalist understanding, sees that holding on to the religion and the understanding in the way of the Prophet ﷺ in the early generations is the solution to the ummah. Then you have the second group who are, who are the modernists, who they see that the Ummah, the Muslims, must actually cut themselves off from the traditionalist understanding and from their history and from the, the, the texts, the old texts, what they call the Turath. Uh, and, and then you have a third group, which are, if you want to call them the reformists or those who want to renew the religious texts. And they're very similar as well to the modernists. So generally you have these Yeah, two sides, there's the traditionalist view or the, the modernists or the reformists on the other side. Uh, the, 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 uh, Islam, uh, the, those who have a traditionalist Islamic uh, view see that the texts, the, the religious texts of the Quran, the Sunnah as the source of enlightenment and knowledge. And they are the hope of progress and they are the hope of removing the Muslims from the crisis that they are in and the hope of, يعني, uh, of, uh, of, of renewing the ummah in its strength and its vitality. Whereas the modernists and the reformists, they do not see the texts, the religious texts of the Quran, the Sunnah, as being a source of enlightenment in and of itself. Uh, and that they seek enlightenment from other sources. لذلك نرى أن الحداثيين وجهوا انتقادهم للخطاب الإسلامي ووجهوا له انتقادا عنيفا وما ذلك إلا أن الخطاب الإسلامي كان له جمهور يعني إذا نظرنا في السنوات الماضية إذا أتيح للخطاب الإسلامي 
أتيح له الحرية نجد أن الناس يلتفون حوله التفافا عجيبا ونرى يعني ونرى كيف أن الناس يعني يلتفون حول أهل هذا الخطاب وكيف أن هذا الخطاب الخطاب يلامس وجدانهم يعني حتى يعني هذا أصبح واضحا لذي عينين أن تأثير الإسلام على كل أصعدة الوجود الفرد والجماعي كان دائما ثابتا وعميقا مستمرا حتى يومنا هذا الذي يعني يمنع الناس من الالتفاف حول الخطاب الإسلامي هو الترهيب فقط ولكن لو أتيح الفرصة للناس لا يعني التفوا من حوله مجددا يعني فلهذا السبب يعني فإن الخطاب الإسلامي بما يحمله من قيم ومفاهيم واجه انتقادات عدة من هؤلاء الحداثيين يريدون أن يكرهوهم بهذا الخطاب قالوا أنه خطاب يهتم بالله ويغيب الإنسان يعني قالوا الخطاب الإسلامي يقوم على بيان حقوق الله ويغيب الإنسان يعني وما العيب في هذا الخطاب إذا كان يبين حقوق الله أليس هذا هو الواجب الذي خلقنا من أجله هو أن نؤدي حقوق الله فهذه سمة عظيمة في الخطاب الإسلامي لكن هم يريدون أن يعني يجعلوها يعني صفة ذم فقالوا أن الخطاب الإسلامي يبين يعني يقوم على بيان حقوق الله ويغيب الإنسان من ساحته غيابا شبه تام وهذا ليس صحيح وهذا هذا من التهم الباطلة التي ألحقت بالخطاب الإسلامي ال ال يعني الخطاب الإسلامي يهتم بالإنسان ويرى أن سعادة الإنسان في تحقيق يعني واجباته تجاه ربه سبحانه وتعالى وأنه لا سعادة أصلا للإنسان إلا في أن يفعل ذلك فهم يتهمون أن الخطاب الإسلامي يهتم بالله ويغيب الإنسان أيضا يتهمون الخطاب الإسلامي بأنه خطاب خطاب تقليد لا إبداع فيه فهو يقولون دائما يتكلم عن الماضي يشتر الماضي ينبش القبور بحثا عما يحيي الواقع خطاب يعني هم في نظرهم ليس فيه إبداع وليس فيه إنتاج فهو اجترار وتقليد فلا جديد ولا ابتكار وهو خطاب يعني يعني بالمعلوم لا بالمجهول أن كل هذه الأمور التي تتحدثون فيها خلاص مكتوبة مسطورة في الكتب حاولوا أن تكتشفوا المجهول والله عز وجل سبحان الله الله عز وجل هو الذي أعلمنا بالمجهول الله عز وجل هو أعلمنا بالغيب وأخبرنا به قالوا يعني يعني قالوا عن الخطاب الإسلامي خطاب يسيطر عليه نزعة التلقين لا نزعة الاكتشاف وهذا أيضا ليس صحيح لو رجعنا إلى يعني علماء الأمة لوجدنا أن الأمة يعني كان لهم السبق في اكتشاف كثير من العلوم وهم الذين يعني بسبب اكتشافاتهم قامت عليهم الحضارة الغربية 
فقالوا يعني تسيطر عليه نزعة التلقين لا نزعة الاكتشاف ونزعة القبول لا نزعة التجاوز وهو يقرر الماضي آلاف المرات وهو خطاب منغلق على ذاته يضع الحواجز على العقل ويضيق الأفق هذا يعني يريدون أن يكره الناس بالخطاب الإسلامي فألصقوا فيه هذه التهم Okay, so uh, a lot of the, the modernist uh, mindset, they dedicate a lot of their time and their effort to direct criticism to the Islamic understanding and the Islamic position. So, and they have like a particular hatred of the Islamic position and a criticism only of the Islamic position. We don't find that they spend time criticizing any other sort of way of thought. And this is because they feel threatened from the Islamic position. Because we notice throughout history and even in our modern time that when the Islamic position or the Islamic call is given some freedom and that the Islamic position is free to be disseminated and preached, we find that the masses of the Muslims turn to it and they have a huge acceptance of Islam. And this is something that annoys the modernists so much. But this is actually a sign of its, you know, uh, 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 veracity, that it still, in all times and all places, it still resonates with the masses, and, and the masses find it acceptable. And so we find that the modernists try to uh, uh, to divert people away from the Islamic core and the Islamic understanding and try to make them hate it. So they attack the Islamic understanding by saying that the Islamic understanding just calls people to think about Allah, okay? And forget about the human and building the human being. And so we say, and what is the problem with that? What is the problem with directing the people to Allah? Because that is the purpose of our existence, to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is in fact even when they say that the Islamic understanding calls people to Allah and diverts people away from caring and concern about the human being, this is a false claim. Because the Islamic call, yes, calls people to Allah, but when we call people to Allah and they understand their responsibilities towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and worshipping Him, this is actually fulfilling the benefit of the human being and fulfills the, the, the benefit of the human being. As well, what they what they claim and they attack Islam in and make people sort of try to discourage people from Islam is that they say that the Islamic call is old and doesn't bring anything new. It's like you're just digging up the graves, going back to the old, you know, yellow books, you know, and they say, you know, you're not inventing anything new. You're not uh, discovering something new. You're not uh, bringing anything that no one has discovered before. And they try to sort of to show that Islam is not something valuable because it doesn't bring anything new. And you know, it's not our job to bring out the unknown, but rather Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who teaches us about the unknown and about the ghayb. Another accusation is that Islam or the Islamic teaching just nurtures people on repetition, repeating old you know, things that have already been said and already old thoughts, just repetition and memorization. And it does not encourage new discovery. 
And so this is part of how the attack that Islam is delaying people. And this is why Muslims haven't discovered and haven't so on, because Islam doesn't encourage them to discover it. And this is as well a false accusation, because even historically, the, the Muslims, when they were adopting their religion, that they were the foremost in discovery and they were the foremost in, uh, in, 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 in uh, even worldly progress. As well of their claims and their accusations and criticisms of the Islamic understanding is that the Islamic understanding just uh, forces you to accept and not to question and not to sort of progress. And all of these accusations that are leveled against the Islamic understanding are all done to make people uh, hate the Islamic court and divert them away from it. And therefore, like, you know, find the alternative in the modernist understanding. يعني نتجاوز كثير من النقاط لضيق الوقت لكن هناك أمور مهمة نريد يعني أن نطلعكم عليها وهي علاقة الحداثيين يعني بال يعني أو مصادر الحداثيين من التراث نحن قلنا أنهم لا يهتمون بالتراث وإنما يريدون الجديد وقلنا أنهم يعتمدون على الحضارة الغربية يعني في تكوين مناهجهم وفكرهم لكن قالوا لما يعني كان هذا المذهب في انحصار ولم يكن له قبول في الساحة يعني الإسلامية في الساحة العربية وأخذوا يطالبون بالرجوع إلى يعني مجتمعهم يعني أن أخذوا يطالبون بأن أن يكون لهم أن يكون لهم وصل بمجتمعهم وأبناء جلدتهم فأخذوا يقلبون في التراث لا لا لي يعني ليجدوا من التراث المكون يعني لفكرهم ومناهجهم لا إنما أرادوا أن يجدوا من بعض التراث القديم بعض المسوغات لما ذهبوا إليه فهم خلاص بنوا منهجهم وأسسوا لكن يريدون أن يستدلوا فيعني اضطروا لهذا أن يلجوا إلى التراث القديم لعلهم يجدون مسوغات ودلالات يعني يستدلون به على صحة ما ذهبوا إليه فهذه نقطة مهمة قال يعني قال المؤلف أن الشيعة وجدوا ملجأ لهم عفوا أن الحداثيين وجدوا ملجأ لهم عند الشيعة وعند المعتزلة وعند الصوفية وأعطى أمثلة على كل واحد منها فقال التقى الفكر الحداثي مع الشيعة في كسر الحواجز وإبعاد التقديس عن رموز ومقدسات الإسلام عن أهل السنة المتمثل فيما يلي الطعن في القرآن والتشكيك في سلامة المصحف من التحريف والنقص يعني هم التقوا مع الشيعة في هذا وقالوا أن جمع المصحف هو عمل بشري لا يخلو من أخطاء هم يريدون أن يعني أن يريدون يعني لهذه الرموز أن تسقط من أعين المسلمين هل هل ترون يعني أن القرآن له رمزية وقدسية عند الشيعة لا 
قليل ما تجد منهم من يهتم بالقرآن لأنهم يقولون أنه ناقص وأن ثلاثة أرباعه هو في مصحف في مصحف فاطمة فهم يلتقون مع الشيعة في هذا يلتقون معهم في عدم قبول الحديث النبوي عند أهل السنة ينا والطعن في صحاح السنة يلتقون معهم في رفض مسألة عدالة الصحابة هم يعني الحداثيون يركزون على هذه الأمور من يعني من هم الصحابة يريدون أيضا أن أن ينزلوا من عظمة الصحابة في عيون المسلمين يلتقون معهم في القول باغتصاب السلطة في الإسلام كما يعني الشيعة يقولون أن يعني الخلافة اقتصبت من علي وهؤلاء يقولون أن يعني السلطة اقتصبت في الإسلام يلتقون معهم في رفض مسألة الإجماع وأنها سلاح بيد السلطة لذلك لا عجب إذا رأيت يعني أن الحداثي يلتقي في كثير من الأحيان مع الشيعة ليس من الضروري أن يتفق معه في كل الأمور لكن هناك نقاط تجمع بين الفريقين وهذا شيء مهم يعني يعني تستطيع من خلاله أن تميز من خلال الخطاب يعني إذا كان هذا المتكلم حداثي أو غير حداثي يعني كلامه في هذه الأمور So the next point is uh, the sources or, or the, the basis of the modernists and their relationship with the traditional texts of the Qur'an, the Sunnah. So this point might sound a bit strange because we've already said that the modernists don't, don't honour the traditional texts of the Qur'an, the Sunnah, and that their basis is from accepting the Western understanding and trying to impose the Western understanding on the Muslims. Okay, uh, so... The problem is, is that when they came to the Muslim world with these new ideas, these westernized ideas, modern western ideas, the masses of the Muslims didn't accept it. And so a way to get the Muslims to accept it was that they tried to search through the traditional texts and tried to find ways to justify these modern understandings. And... Uh, they, they search in the traditional text to, to find that which supports their conclusions. And so, the, the, uh, because uh, yeah, a lot of this information is based on a PhD research from one of the Mashaikh, and he said that the modernists found a lot of support in three groups that are among the Muslims. They found a lot of support. Modernists found support in three groups of the Muslims. The first group is the Shia. The second group are the Mu'tazila, and the third group are the Sufis. Okay, so among the Shia, uh, of يعني, what was a common belief among the Shia, is there uh, يعني, uh, putting doubt in the Qur'an, and, the, and in the way that the Qur'an was compiled. And they say that the, the Qur'an was compiled through human effort, and therefore if it was compiled through human effort, then there's a possibility of there being errors in it. So the Qur'an doesn't have, is not like, we can't be absolutely sure about the Qur'an. These are the, the doubts that the Shia have. Why do they have this? So that the, the honor that the Muslims have of the Qur'an would be shaky, and therefore it's questionable. 
And so, you know, it's not absolute, you know, whatever's in the Qur'an, because there could be some error because we're not sure exactly how the Qur'an, or there was a human effort in compiling the Qur'an. And this is something common with the Shia. And that's why you generally find the Shia don't have the honor of the Qur'an. The Shia don't have, you know, this, this absolute authority of the Qur'an, even though they might apparently say they believe in the Qur'an. But some of them believe that the true Qur'an has been lost. We only have a portion of the Qur'an. The true Qur'an, three quarters of it was kept with Fatima. And uh, when the Mahdi al-Muntadhar comes, he will bring the true Qur'an. We only have a portion of the Qur'an that we just sort of get by with. But it's sort of, that's why they don't have an absolute acceptance of the Qur'an. And so the modernists use this to try to justify a lot of their thoughts uh, uh, because yeah, I need to try to put doubts in the minds of the Muslims about the veracity of the Qur'an. The second thing that the Shia help them uh, and they benefit from the Shia is in rejecting hadith, in questioning hadith because the Shia don't accept hadith, the traditional hadiths as the rest of the Muslims do. Uh, and, and this related as well to questioning the, the, uh, the, the, the uh, trustworthiness of the companions and the reliability of the companions and narrating hadith and understanding as well. Uh, as well, uh, the, the idea, uh, for example, of the Shia, of how the authority of the Muslims was taken by force, and that the, as the Shia believe that the, the, that the Khulafa took, took the authority of the Muslims by force from Ali and so on, radiallahu anhu, uh, and so as well, this is a point that the modernists use of how religion is taken by force and authority and not by yani, uh, yani by uh, obedience to the traditional text. So yani, pretty much these are only some points to show how the modernists use some of the basis of these deviated groups as a way to yani, justify their positions. هذا بالنسبة لل يعني للالتقاء الحداثيين مع الشيعة في بعض النقاط بالنسبة لالتقائهم مع المعتزلة يعني المعتزلة أو الاعتزال هو ملجأ آمن توجه الحداثيون للانتساب إليه للتسويق لأفكارهم إذا يعني نحن قلنا لكم في التعريف يعني أن الحداثيين يعتمدون على العقل كمصدر أول للمعرفة وكذلك المعتزلة المعتزلة عندهم يعني في الاعتزال هناك صورة على سلطة النقل وهناك يعني إحلال لمكانة العقل محلها يعني المعتزلة جعلوا العقل هو يعني حاكما على النص وقالوا ما يعني قبله العقل قبلناه وما رفضه العقل رفضناه فهذا يعني إذا كم هذا يساعد الآن الحداثيين أنه يعني العقل هو الحاكم العقل هو الأصل العقل هو مصدر المعرفة الصحيح الثابت الذي تستطيع أن تبني عليه ليس هو النقل النقل يعني يعني قد يكون مقبولا بالعقل وقد يكون مرفوضا بالعقل فالاعتزال هو صورة على سلطة النقل وإحلال لمكانة العقل محلها 
فللعقل عند الحداثيين منزلة عظيمة فهو مصدر أولي للمعرفة بل أصبح لدى بعضهم إلها يعبد من دون الله يعني, يعني وكما قال الله عز وجل أفرأيت من اتخذ إلهه هواه أفرأيت من اتخذ إلهه هواه وأضله الله على علم وختم على سمعه وقلبه وبصره وخدم على سمعه وبصره يعني فمن يهديه من بعد الله إذا يعني هو لدى بعضهم إلها يعبد من دون الله ووجد الحداثي في الفكر الاعتزالي إعلاء من شأن العقل وإعطاءه مكانة كبيرة فلذلك يعني تجمعهم مع المعتزلة يعني بعض النقاط وهذه من أهمها ونحن كنا نقرأ سبحان الله يعني الصواعق المرسلة يعني في الرد على الجهمية المعطلة يعني للإمام ابن القيم يعني وبين في هذا الكتاب كيف هؤلاء يعني قدموا العقل وجعلوه يعني حاكما في أهم أبواب الدين ألا وهي صفات الله وهي صفات الله سبحانه وتعالى The next group that the modernists uh, sort of came to an agreement with or found that they're in agreement with and, uh, and uh, was a way to uh, يعني get into the minds of Muslims was through a group called the Mu'tazila. And they are a group who used logic or thought to question and as the authority over religious texts. And they use, and, the, and this group, the Mu'tazila, Uh, their primary source was logic or thought. And they put logic and thought before the religious texts. And actually it represents, the Mu'tazila thought represents a rebellion against the traditional texts. And they made, the, they made the mind as a ruler and an authority over the texts. So when a religious text comes, they think, And they use their mind and intellect. Does it make sense? If it makes sense, I accept it. If it doesn't make sense, I reject it. So they don't use the religious traditional texts as the authority. Okay? And I accept whatever has come. No. They use their minds as a ruler over the text, whether to accept it or reject it. And so what their, what their thought is, is that logic, Or, or logic or yani, the power of the mind is, is absolute, whereas the traditional text is questionable. Um, and so these people in reality have made their minds and their logic as their authority and as the God that they follow. Just what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran, have you not seen, have you not thought about or considered the one who takes his desires as a Lord to be worshipped? His God is his desires, his thought, his mind, what he thinks is right. And so the modernists found, you know, this is a perfect way for them to justify their positions through the Mu'tazila mindset. Yeah, أنه علاقة الحداثيين مع يعني المعتزلة ومع الشيعة ومع التصوف ذكرنا مثالا يعني, يعني مع علاقتهم مع الشيعة أو النقاط ونقطة يعني تجمعهم مع المعتزلة ونحن سنذكر نقطة واحدة تجمعهم مع التصوف 
مع أنه التصوف هو مخالف لفكر الحداثيين الحداثيون هم يعظمون العقل ويعتمدون عليه والتصوف ليس له علاقة بالعقل يعني هو يعني يقوم على يعني الاعتماد على الذوق والوجدان يعني والروح والقلب يعني أنه ليس له علاقة بالعقل لكن يعني كيف وجدوا هؤلاء ضلتهم يعني مع مع يعني بعض بعض يعني الغلات من الصوفية سبب يعني سبب اتخاذ الحداثيين للتصوف ملجأ للحداثة رغم اعتماد الحداثة على العقل واعتماد التصوف على يعني الروح والذوق ويعني آه يعني القلب آه يظهر في يعني بعض الجوانب منها الخروج عن الجماعه والاتيان بما يخالف الدين بالقول آه يعني يعني عند عند المتصوفه يعني عند بعضهم عند غلاتهم انه لا باس ان تخرج عن جماعه المسلمين وان تاتي بافكار يعني لم يعني لم يكن لها ذكر في الماضي وان يعني تخرج عن اجماعهم وعن جماعتهم لا باس بذلك عند التصوف يعني فمثلا منهم من غلات المتصوفه من اتى بفكره يعني الحلول ووحده الوجود وهذه يعني لم تكن معروفه يعني عند الامه فراى الحداثيون بالحلاج بالحلاج الذي قتل صبرا يعني سنه يعني 309 على يد اتباع الشعائر والطقوس الذين لا يستطيعون القبول بان يعني يقصدون باصحاب الشعائر والطقوس هم اهل السنه هم اصحاب شعائر عبادات اصحاب عبادات يقولون انهم انهم لا يقبلون بان تتحد يعني الانا البشريه بالأنا الإلهية المتعالية كأن الحلاج يقول بما معناه يعني فكان الحلاج يقول بما معناه نحن روحاني في جسد واحد ولهذا اتهموه بالحلول فكان في خروجه عن الجماعة بمذهبه هذا أن أصبح ملجأ للحداثيين فصار هو مثال وقدوة لهم أنه انظروا في تراثنا من يعني من العلماء ويصفونه بأنه عالم كبير وسووا له يعني برنامج او مسلسل من اجل ان يروج فكرته في المجتمع الاسلامي وانه هذا ليس بشيء شاذ عن الامه لا باس يعني ان يعني تاتي بافكار وان تبتدع افكار يعني بهذه بهذه يعني بهذا القبح لا باس بذلك لك سلف في هذا الحلاج يعني يعني كان يقول انه يعني يقول نحن روحان في جسد واحد يعني انه يعني انه هو الله والله هو هو يعني هذا معنى كلامه فيعني اذا وجدوا ضلتهم في مثل يعني الحلاج الذي يعني قتله اهل الاسلام على مقالته هذه صبرا يعني سنه يعني 309 فاذا هذه بعض النقاط التي تجمعهم مع المتصوفه مع بعد مع الفرق الشاسع 
في يعني يعني الاصل الذي اعتمد عليه كل من الفرقتين حلاش وهو ابن عربي ايضا بس هو ذكر نعم وي منشن ذات ذا ثيرد جروب ذات ذا مودرنست هاف فاوند يعني ا واي تو جاستيفاي ذا يعني جاستيفاي ذا ثوت ثرو sort of uh, through the Islamic community is through the Sufi thought. And even though يعني, uh, it might seem strange that the modernists base their, uh, base their thinking on logic and, uh, and, uh, and the Sufis uh, base their, uh, have their basis is on spirituality and, and, and things like that. So that goes against logic. So how would the modernists and the Sufis find agreement. So it might, you know, you might uh, uh, think that. Uh, they have a, an agreement, uh, especially among the extreme of the Sufis, in that they have no problem and they see no problem in leaving the common understanding of the Muslims or the jama'ah of the Muslims. And so, and so they have no, uh, the, the extreme Sufis especially, find no problem in leaving the main body of the Muslims and their traditional understanding. And they, have, they see no problem with doing things that have no traditional basis. And so you have some extreme Sufis like Al-Hallaj, for example, who had and, 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 and promoted ideas uh, of Al-Hulul, which is that Allah Ta'ala wa Taqaddas, from what they say, is that they say Allah can come into a human being. Or that they have the idea of wahdatul wujud, of the oneness of existence, that God and human or creation can be one. And these are ideas that are promoted by these extreme Sufis like Al-Hallaj and Ibn Arabi and so on. And they accuse the regular Muslims as those who follow tradition and rituals. Okay, and they have, uh, and, and so, uh, Al-Hallaj for example, Uh, he used to say and claim that uh, I am two spirits in one body, meaning that his spirit and the spirit of God in one body. And it was because of these deviated uh, beliefs that Al-Hallaj in his time was actually executed for being a heretic and for blasphemy. And he refused to recount, uh, recount his, his, uh, his beliefs and he was killed up upon that belief and because of that belief in those times. And so the modernists find that as a basis and justification that just as the Sufis do not regard and do not base their understandings on traditional texts and, and they come up with ideas that don't have any basis or traditional basis and not common accepted among the Muslims and we can as well. And so they find that commonality in it even though uh, their basis are actually contradictory but they have some commonality uh, in that. And, and this is a way that the modernists as well try to justify themselves. <laughs> and as well that you find that some of these modernists that would celebrate these personalities like Al-Hallaj ibn Arabi and they celebrate these personalities and make them seem as if they're acceptable uh, and, and even they have made some uh, uh, um, uh, um, television uh, programs and dramas which celebrate these personalities. You know, I don't want to mention by name, but Ibn Arabi has been celebrating a very popular uh, uh, um, drama that has come out in the Muslim world. 
to make this personality to be something acceptable, even though he is to promote these these sort of ideas. So how would a modernist type of person, someone with a modest understanding, what benefit does it have in promoting these type of people? Because they they have this agreement, you know, that they agree on this basis in opposing the traditionalist understanding of Islam that is accepted by yani, the, the, yani, the, the, yani, the regular community of the Muslims or the Jama'ah of the Muslims. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam ala Rasulillah. Inshallah, we introduce uh, the next speaker, our uh, brother, Sheikh Nasim Abdi, and he will be speaking about modernism and its denial of the prophetic tradition. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam ala Rasulillah. Inshallah, we continue and we speak about modernism and its denial of the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. As Sheikh Khalid jazakallahu khairan alluded to, that these are people who have corrupt agendas. They want to change what Islam is. And this is something very important when we talk about this topic to understand that this is their foundational principle, that they do not want to implement Islam as Islam is known. And because of that, they build everything around that understanding. From amongst the ways, uh, ways which are outright and blatant, that we reject anything from the Sharia. Many of them, they will announce that they are disbelievers, billah. But then there are others who are a little bit more subtle, for whatever the reason may be. Some of them because of family pressure, societal pressure. Some of them because they do believe in Allah Azza wa Jal, but they just want to live a life of sin and vice without that guilty feeling. Whatever the reason may be, they try to reject what we know to be uh, Islam in a much softer version. And from amongst the ways that they achieve that is by them denying the sunnah of the Prophet So you may have in what we talk about now, things from non-Muslims where they completely reject the concept of the sunnah of the Prophet being revelation from Allah Azza wa Jal. And this is some of the words of the Orientalists, which some of the Muslims unfortunately have taken on board. Or it is the words of those who claim to be Muslims, but they try their best to reject the sunnah of the Prophet You may ask the brother, why would a person or the sister, why would a person want to reject the sunnah of the Prophet but they claim to accept the Qur'an? The Qur'an came as a general guide. The Qur'an came as a general guide. That which explains the Qur'an is the sunnah of the Prophet If you look throughout the Qur'an, you have general guidances like Aqimus Salah. Pray. Where does the specification for how to pray come? That only comes through the Sunnah of the Prophet. We're told to read the Quran properly. Where do the rules of the Quran come? The Sunnah of the Prophet. We're told to fast. We're told to be good to our spouses. We're told to only eat halal. A lot of these things, there are only a minor amount of rulings and regulations regarding them in the Quran. The vast majority came in the Sunnah of the Prophet So if a person does not want to follow Islam, the easiest thing for him to do is to remove the Sunnah of the Prophet They can also take vague verses from the Quran and translate it or uh, explain it in a way which suits their whims and desires. That which explains the Quran is the Sunnah of the Prophet If they want to explain it in a way which is befitting for their whims and desires, they remove the sunnah and they stick with their own logic. So this matter 
understanding that these people do not want Islam, they do not want the correct understanding of Islam, is pivotal in us understanding this concept. Because people that don't want it to happen, no matter what you say, you're not going to win that argument. They've already made their mindset up. Which brings us to the second point, which is a rule, which is a differentiating matter between us and the people of innovation. The ulama, they say, Ahlul bid'ah yastadillun, Ahlul bid'ah ya'taqidun, thumma yastadillun. Wa ahlul sunnah yastadillun, thumma ya'taqidun. The people of innovation, they come up with their beliefs, then they look for evidences for it. And Shaykh Khalid Hafizullah alluded to that in his talk. As for Ahlul Sunnah, they look through the text and then they come to the conclusion. These people already run to reject that which we know to be the Sharia. They reject the rulings that came from the Sunnah. They don't want it. They don't want Islam. And so when they don't want Islam, their minds are already made up. Then they'll look through Islam, for the Qur'an and the Sunnah, for something to suit their whims and desires. As for Ahlul Sunnah, we look at the Qur'an, we look at the Sunnah, and then we conclude what is correct, and what is right, and what is appropriate. So from amongst the ways that they tried to reject the Sunnah, is to say that it itself is not revelation. Any Muslim knows that the Qur'an and the Sunnah both of them are revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But these people came in, tried to reject that. We begin firstly regarding this particular point, what is the sunnah? The sunnah linguistically is away. The sunnah linguistically is away. When we speak about it in Islamic terminology, the sunnah, and it's got different understandings depending on which science you're speaking about, but the sunnah according to the muhaddithin, the ulama of hadith, are the statements and the actions, and that which the Prophet ﷺ approved, and also the traits, Islamic traits, uh, phys uh, the physical traits, and the mannerisms of the Prophet ﷺ. All of these are considered sunnah. His speech, his actions, that which he's seen and approved, his physical traits, and also his manners, all of these are considered sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. So we as Ahlul Sunnah, we believe things, these things to be revelation. We believe these things to be revelation. And the only things from that, which is not revelation, it's a minority of things and it's made clear that this is not revelation. Okay, but this is the minority. The vast majority of, the th of these things are all revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this is the belief of Ahlul Sunnah. Some of the ayat in the Quran that allude to the legislative authority of the Sunnah of the Prophet is the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a clear example. Whatever the Prophet gives you, take. And whatever he tells you to stay away from, keep away from it. This is clear authority from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the Prophet that he has the authority to make these rulings. Where do these rulings come from? Do they come from himself? No, of course not. Allah says, The Prophet ﷺ does not speak from his own whims and desires. Rather, everything that he says is revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even when people say, we'll only follow the Qur'an. The Qur'an came, as we said, general. And that which specifies is the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. And Allah Azza wa also said in the Qur'an, لِتُبَيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ your role, O Muhammad 
is to make clear to the people that which has been revealed to them. So how do you know what is right and what is wrong from the understandings and the interpretations of the Qur'an? You find it through the Sunnah of the Prophet Also, this was something agreed upon by the companions of the Prophet All of the companions understood that the Sunnah of the Prophet is revelation. And when you want to understand Qur'an and Sunnah, the ones who embodied that and personified that are the companions of the Prophet to the extent that Allah Azza wa gave them the stamp of approval when he said Allah is pleased with them and they are pleased with Allah. So if you want to look at a group of people that Allah Azza wa testifies that he is happy with, then it is the companions. And a person cannot say that they are the companions, we don't have to follow them. Incorrect. Why? Because Allah also said Also, those who follow them in goodness Allah is pleased with them and they are pleased with him. And for them are, uh, for them are gardens beneath with rivers flow, the paradise. So Allah Azza wa told us to follow the ways of the companions, anhum. And they all were in agreement that the sunnah of the Prophet is revelation. Those who are from the modernist path, who want us to live a life against that which is traditionally known to be Islam. One of their techniques is as we mentioned, they want to remove that the sunnah is a revelation from Allah from the hearts and the minds of the believers. What are some of their techniques? From amongst the techniques of them is that they say clearly and openly that the words of the Prophet they're just words of a man. His thoughts are like our thoughts. His thoughts are like our thoughts. They're no different. Just like you have ideas, the Prophet Muhammad also had ideas. This is problematic. This is problematic. Why? Because Allah Azza wa Jal did not give the authority for anyone to speak on his behalf. Rather, Allah Azza wa Jal mentions many times in different places in the Quran that if the Prophet was to speak from his own self about us, we would have taken him. It wouldn't have been allowed. Allah Azza clearly told us in the Quran, do not say this is halal and this is haram to invent lies against Allah Azza wa Allah Azza made this, made this clear in the Quran that it is not allowed for a person to speak from his own whims and desires, for a person to think that which is right and that which is wrong from his own self and make a religion. On top of that, Allah Azza wa clearly made it clear in the Quran that what he says is revelation and made an obligation for the Muslims if we differ in anything to go back to the Prophet How can a person say that Allah is giving all of this authority to Muhammad if he was a simple man like other men? Where his opinions are like other people's opinions. Abadan, this is not acceptable. The Prophet is a man, yes, but he received revelation. And that which he speaks about the religion is revelation. And so when we take from him, we are taking revelation. It is not that his thoughts are they like the thoughts of others. From amongst the matters that these people, the modernists, they try and fool Ahl-Sunnah into believing that the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ is not revelation, is that they cherry-pick verses from the Qur'an or they cherry-pick a hadith from the Prophet ﷺ to try and confuse the people. Firstly, if you want to take from the hadith and use it against Ahl-Sunnah, then take all of the hadith. 
It is not enough that you take some ahadith and you reject other ahadith. If you want to be fair in your argument of something and you want to refute something, you cannot say the Prophet said X in this hadith, but then you reject every other hadith that is there. Even in the Quran, you can't do that. If a person tried in the Quran to say a person doesn't uh, need to pray, a person shouldn't pray, would anyone logically believe what he's saying? No. He says, I have a dalil, I have an evidence that you don't need to pray and that it is haram to pray. You think, Audhu Billah, the Quran tells us not to pray? He say, yes. Say, Where did you get that from? He says, Allah said in the Quran, Don't go near the prayer. You took a part of a verse and you had no context to it and so you tried to fool people with it. Oh, Allah says, musallin. Woe, a warning be to those who pray. If you take that out of place and try and use it as an argument, this is something which yani, academically is unjust. If you want to use an evidence, use it in context and use it with everything else that comes. Yes, then come next to the prayer and you're drunk. Understood. Those who are negligent regarding their prayers. Yes, this is understood. They try and use a hadith from the Prophet like where he said to the meaning, You are more knowledgeable regarding the dunya matters in your lives. The worldly matters in your lives, you're more knowledgeable in it than I am. What do they try and mean by that? That when the Prophet ﷺ said this, it means all things to do with worldly affairs, the religion doesn't have a say in it. So when you pray your five daily prayers, this is between you and Allah, yes, 100%. You, between you and Allah we need the religion. As for everything else that the Sunnah spoke about, the way you dress, the way you eat, the way you go to the bathroom, the way a person's intimate with his spouse, what is halal and haram in business, all of this, we don't need the sunnah. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ said, you are more knowledgeable regarding your worldly affairs. We say, stop. This was taken in what context? That which revelation had been revealed or the general matters which there was no revelation in. Use it in context. This was about something to do with planting, agriculture. It had nothing to do with that which was revealed. So when you come to this verse and you say, stop, the Prophet ﷺ, when he spoke to us and advised us about marriage, when he spoke to us and advised us about the way to use the bathroom, when he spoke to us about what is halal and haram in business, when he spoke to us about the awra, etc., 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 these worldly things, were they revelation or were they from the Prophet ﷺ? These things were revelation. What does this hadith mean then? This hadith is talking about something where there's no revelation. For example, now, are you going to find an ayah of Quran or a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ in which positions the air-conditioned ducting should be? You're not going to find. Are you going to find in the ayat of Quran or a hadith from the Prophet ﷺ about what uh, spe specifications of cement should be used when you're building factories? You're not going to find. If you found it, it's revelation. If you don't find it, then this is a matter of dunya in which you may be no better than the Prophet ﷺ. In these worldly things where there was no revelation. The worldly things that which is no revelation. And Allah tells us in the Quran, 
Ask the people of knowledge if you don't know. So they cherry pick a hadith like this and they use it to reject the sunnah of the Prophet They will also try and use other hadith from the Prophet like when he told the companions, do not write my words. There was a time where the Prophet told the companions not to write his words down. You don't write the hadith. So they say, look, see, the Prophet wants you to focus on what? Want you to focus on the Quran because that's revelation. Don't write his words. This is their understanding. Why? Because it's not revelation. We say, stop. What you're saying is unjust. Complete it. The ulama made it very clear. At a particular time, the Prophet did not want his words written down. Why? So he doesn't get mixed up with what? He doesn't get mixed up with Quran. But did that stop the Prophet advising his companions? To hear what he says and pass it on to others. If you take one narration, take every other narration. Take that narration, take every other narration. Did not the Prophet tell us, may Allah light in the face of a person who hears what I say and understands it and passes it on to someone else? Where did you get that from? Why didn't you bring other narrations where the Prophet told the companions, write what I say, for verily it is revelation? Why didn't you take those narrations also? When there was no more fear, they, they done it, no problem. Abu Huraira mentions the companions of the Anu used to write down the hadith of the Prophet. There was a time, yes, the Prophet did not want it written down for a reason. Once that reason is gone, the companions of the Anu wrote and they memorized and they passed on. Where did you get this understanding that we can take one hadith and apply it as a golden rule? For and reject everything else, this is unjust. What a person needs to do, Zaydo, Zaydo, don't touch. Abdul Khalid, come get your brother. This is what happens when Wollongong people come to Sydney. This is what we should say. So they cherry pick from the ahadith and they try and build their understanding on it, even though uh, it means either you take from the ahadith which is uh, your acceptance that it is truth, or they, uh, if you're going to do that, accept all of the hadith with it. Another point of uh, them trying to demolish the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, saying that it is uh, not revelation, they said what the Prophet ﷺ done is not necessarily special. What the Prophet ﷺ done, it's not necessarily special. Anyone who sits and ponders about a matter, and meditates over a matter, thinks about a matter, he was able to do and accomplish what the Prophet ﷺ accomplished. We say, this may be the case for something very, very, very specific. As for the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, impossible. Why? Give me throughout history, either before the Prophet ﷺ, or after the Prophet ﷺ, where a man was able to do what the Prophet ﷺ done, in terms of how correct and appropriate his speech was. Impossible. Give me inconsistencies in the words of the Prophet ﷺ. Give me scientific errors in the words of the Prophet ﷺ. Impossible. A person maybe if he spent 10-15 years, yes, maybe he can think about something which would be suitable for this particular matter. Like they'll talk about some uh, big political philosophers that they spend their whole life and they come up with a very good political theory. 
They, they spent their entire lives and they were very good at understanding political theory. Ask that same philosopher about marriage, he doesn't know. Ask that same philosopher about war, he doesn't know. Ask that same philosopher about what is appropriate in uh, marital relations, about how to go to the bathroom, about what is right regarding exercise, he doesn't know. Ask that same philosopher about matters regarding medicine, he doesn't know. A person, yes, maybe if they spend their entire life, they can become, become perfectionists in a particular field. But to say that the Prophet ﷺ done that, and that's why he was so smart, we say impossible, because of how broad the words of the Prophet ﷺ are, and how it takes over every facet of a person's life, not only that, but that it is correct, and it is appropriate, and it can be done in every time and place, and it has stood the test of time. There is no one on the face of the, of the earth, before the Prophet ﷺ or after the Prophet ﷺ, that their message stands the test of time. Impossible. Look at everyone who thought they, they worked so hard to be correct, whether it is a person, a scientist, in, uh, for example, in a particular diet. They believe they had this diet figured out. Then after a few years, they say, this diet led to these health issues, we need to rethink it. In politics, the people, like for example, the communists, they say, you know, Karl Marx and uh, the writings and the implementation of Lenin and the like, these things we perfected how a society should be. They come to implement it, and it's all gone. So they continue trying to revive communism in different forms with different tweaks. Democracy, they say, if the, you know, the Greeks and the Romans, they perfected democracy, the tenets of democracy. And now the West implements democracy how it should be implemented. But you come now and you see all of the holes and the deficiencies in democracy. Where is this perfection from any individual or a group of people like in the Sunnah of the Prophet Impossible. It is literally impossible for anyone to be as correct and as broad in what they spoke about and as consistent for 23 years like the Prophet And this is an evidence that it is a revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I apologize if I'm speaking too fast. You know, watch the recording again and put it on like you know, half the speed. Okay, my mom always tells me off, but I'm trying to finish so we can uh, finish before Aisha, inshallah. From amongst the matters uh, is character assassination. They attacked the character of the Prophet and they used that as an evidence for why he is even not a prophet from the non-Muslims or why his sunnah is not revelation. Very simple. When you talk about someone, talk facts. The problem with character assassination is there's no substance to it. So they'll come and say, how can he be a prophet? And he was a person who killed. He went to war. How can he be a prophet? How can he be a prophet? And he was an orphan. This is an argument some of them they use. They say he was an orphan, which means he had some uh, problems within himself. He had some you know, emotional problems. He wanted to be known and accepted by society. So they say, you see, this is an evidence that he's not a prophet. Billah. They, marry, they say things like, oh, he married uh, nine women at once, or he married Aisha How can this be a prophet? Or how can we accept this as sunnah? We say, stop. Remove your emotions and look at the facts. We don't say he's a prophet because he went to war. We don't say he went to, uh, he's, a, he's a prophet because he married nine women at once. Remove that and look at the facts of his message. The facts of his message. Tell me, what did the Prophet ﷺ do wrong, which was acceptable at his time? Tell me his message that he said, is it correct or not? Look at the scientific facts, the historical facts, 
the prophecies that the Prophet spoke about, which all came true, which were impossible for him to know at that time. Where did he get that from? The Mufti attracted to Nur, Allah Marghalik. Where did he get that from? How did the Prophet know all of this? Where is the wrong in the Sunnah of the Prophet Where is the wrong? Show me the wrong. Don't reject the truth that a person has because you disagree with something about them as an individual. And this happens all the time. Someone will be telling someone, okay, don't uh, talk like that because it's not good. He says, oh, you want to tell me what to do? Go tell yani, your son to speak better. What does his son doing something wrong have to do with him advising you in this particular matter? What you're trying to do is avert the fact that you're doing wrong by putting the light on someone else or something else. Look at the, subs- look at the fact and do with the, 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 uh, the facts, which is where the substance is. These people, they reject the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ based on certain emotional arguments. He's this, he's that, he's this, he's that. Forget all of that and look at what he said. A person, for example, an orphan that wanted attention, he would do something which Quraysh would accept. Why would an orphan who wants attention be willing to get kicked out of his land? Why would an orphan who wants attention go against what they do, the whole of Quraysh, which is associated partners with Allah Azza wa Jal? Why would he do something and stay on that message and be boycotted for three years? Why would he do something which they offered him, Ya Muhammad, if it is leadership that you want, we'll give you leadership. If it is women that you want, we'll give you women. If it is wealth that you want, we'll give you wealth. Why wouldn't he accept that at that time then? The Prophet ﷺ, if he was an orphan looking for attention, why didn't he accept it? Why did he take the heart route? Why did he take the heart route? Why would he do such a thing? There was no acceptance in that. So again, the facts clearly go against what you're saying. So a person should not look at the emotional discussions that try and character assassinate the Prophet ﷺ, but look at the facts. Is he a prophet or not based on his words and his works? From amongst the, and we'll finish on this one from the points that they use, from amongst the, the means that they use to deny that the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ is revelation is the historic authenticity of the hadith. They try and look at the historic authenticity of the hadith and poke holes in it. So they say, for example, why would I take from Al-Bukhari and Al-Bukhari came you know, over 200 years, or the book was written over 200 years after the Prophet ﷺ. Why would I take a hadith and it was written mainly in the Umayyad dynasty? Why would I take the hadith? Even the non-Muslims themselves, they say there is absolutely nothing like the science of hadith. Nothing. Because of how strict and stringent it is for the process to go through regarding authenticating a hadith. Anyone who ever has any doubt over the authenticity of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, just do a science of the sunnah course, a workshop. It may take you a few hours, but go and look at how strict they were. Throughout history, you have nothing like Ilm al-Rijal, the science of knowing whether men are upright or not, whether you can take from them or not. If you look at big compilations, maybe there's one in the bookshelf there, or maybe Sheikh Jalal has in his office, you have drawing compilations. Ilm al-Rijal, there are scholars, and their work, their, their specific work is going through and knowing who the narrator of hadith is. 
because this person said that, this person said that, this person said that, this person said, all the way back to the Prophet that the Prophet said. So the ulama, they need to go through and study every single individual. Every single individual, they need to study who they were, what year they were born, where they traveled, what their character was like. And they need to be upright individuals who are in the same time frame as this person who took from that person. They need to fit the conditions. From that person, they need to fit the conditions all the way back to the Prophet ﷺ in order for you to sign off that that hadith is authentic. And if there is some deficiency, then it removes it from authenticity. It removes it from authenticity, either something else will strengthen it or it will become weak. And then you have sciences that maybe if a hadith is completely fabricated, to say it's fabricated. The science of hadith, there is no science like it. Whenever you talk about history, whenever you, you talk about you know, the works of people before us, no one, no civilization has anything that connects them with a direct chain of narration like the Muslims have. We are the only group of people, the only, literally, the only group of people on the face of the earth that has a direct chain of narration back to their prophet, back to their works. Every other person, they're relying that this hopefully is their work. That hopefully is their work. When you look at, for example, Greek philosophy, when they speak about Pluto and Aristotle and the like, hopefully this is their work. Hopefully. The Bible itself doesn't have a chain of narration. The Torah doesn't have a chain of narration. Nothing does. Only the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ is from the works that have it. And anyone who studies the sciences of the Sunnah will understand this very clearly. So I have no doubt whatsoever. Even though they weren't giant compilations, number one, the Arab tradition is an oral tradition. The Quran itself wasn't a uh, wasn't written down in the time of the Prophet ﷺ in a complete book. Why? Because the Arabs, they have an oral tradition. With an oral tradition, you have two types. You have written tradition and oral tradition. The uh, civilizations that were mainly built on oral traditions, they have extremely strong memory. Extremely strong memory. So when people speak, they memorize. That's why the Arabs, they could memorize so much poetry. They could memorize so much history. They could memorize the Quran very easily. Because it's oral. The same thing with the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. This was an oral tradition. The main method of learning was they would speak and others would memorize from them. Later on, Islamic history became much more widespread in the sense that it was written down. The Quran wasn't written down, not because it was wrong, because there wasn't a need for it, because of the oral tradition. When there became a need, that's when it was written down. The hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, Originally, they are an oral tradition. So there isn't a vast need to write it down. When, they, when the non-Arabs started to become Muslim, yes, there was a need to preserve the hadith of the Prophet because the memory was not as strong. And so the hadith became more widespread that they were written down, like the works of Al-Bukhari and others. That's number one. Number two, the works of, Al the, works of the hadith were also written down before Al-Bukhari and the like. A hadith were written down in the time of the Prophet ﷺ. But they just went as widespread and directed as a science and organized as a science as they were later on. But they were always written down. But the main method was memorization and they still did write it down. But later on it became as a complete science. Just like any other science in Islam. Fiqh, Islamic jurisprudence. There's no fiqh book at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. The rulings are there. 
The rulings are with the companions. The rulings were, are with At-Tabi'een and At-Tabi'een. The rulings are there. But later on, because they're oral traditions, later on when Islam became more widespread and there was a need, that's when fiqh books came. Usul al-fiqh book came. Alm al-Rijal came. Later on when there was a need. So this is just a very small, very small summary of some of the doubts that the modernists and the, and the people who are worse than them, the clique of Murtaddin, Billah, or non-Muslim Orientalists who try to speak about Islam, some of the things that they bring to cause confusion in the heart of the Muslim, that the Prophet wasallam, if he's not a prophet, all his words are not revelation. All we need to do, dear brothers and dear sisters, is to ensure that we understand clearly the basics that Islam came with. What are the basics that Islam came with? Hold on to them. Hold on to them with your molar teeth. And any doubt that comes, know that it's not a clear, it's not a doubt. It is not a doubt. It is only a doubt for the weak. Those who don't have knowledge. So one, you make sure that you seek knowledge. Number two, if you ever come across a doubt, then you go to a person of knowledge. Go to a person of knowledge, and inshallah, that that will become eradicated very easily. But that which they come with is absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. The words that they say now, the same words that they said over a thousand years ago. The ulama refuted it then, and inshallah, they'll be refuted now. And the sunnah of the Prophet will remain as it did strong. It will remain until the future strong. May Allah Azza wa allow us to be of those who hold on to the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and assist in its spreading and revival. Hadha wa alam sallallahu muhammad wa ala alihi muhammad wa sahbihi. Ajma'in wa jazakumullah wa khayrah. Next I believe we have uh, our guest speaker all the way from Perth. Before that Hong Kong, before that Egypt. Uh, Sheikh Wail Ibrahim. Faliyat al-Fatwa. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Rabbi shuhli sadri wa sili amri wa ahlul uqdatan min lisani yafqahu qawli subhanaka la ilma lana illa ma'alamtana innaka anta alimul hakeem. Jazakumullah khairan my brothers and sisters in Islam for the beautiful invitation and you're welcome. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala assist us all to listen to the words of Allah, to listen to the reminders of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger and follow them to the best of our ability. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen. Now the last part of Shaykh Naseem when he mentioned about the Bible, subhanAllah, that was my planned introduction. May Allah forgive you Brother Naseem for stealing that part. But actually I've, uh, one of the people that motivated me to look into Islam and start practicing the deen, alhamdulillah, was uh, Rahmatullahi alayhi Shaykh Ahmad Didat. May Allah have mercy upon his soul. And he was debating one person about the Bible some, some times ago. And he mentioned this part exactly. He said, I don't know why am I standing here debating here about the authenticity of the Bible, knowing that Al-Bukhari alone can defeat your book of authority. There is no really system that has been established to authenticate the wording of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu other than the sciences of the Hadith. Now I want to start off with a beautiful quote from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu arda. Just to remind you of one thing very important. Uh, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu arda, in that famous quote he said, مَنْ كَانَ مُسْتَنَّنْ فَلْيَسْتَنَّ بِمَنْ قَدْ مَاتْ Whosoever really wanted to follow a path, let him follow the path of those who passed away. He was referring to who? 
to the companions of the Prophet He was referring to the companions of our beloved Prophet Muhammad فَإِنَّ He said, because, of, because the living, the people who are alive, they are not free from fitna. They may deviate وَالْعَيَادُ So even though modernists' words may appeal to some Muslims, and as a result you can see them following them on TikTok now, MashaAllah, Tabarakallah, and these are their favorite mashayikh. I'm referring to non-Muslims as well, whose words may appeal to our youngsters. And as a result, they share those TikTok and they think that they are actually teaching them Islam now. I don't want to mention names, but probably you're getting what I'm trying to say. Like, especially when my students will look at me and say, brother, you look like Andrew Tate. <laughs> and that's become their old mother, you know, all of a sudden. May Allah protect us all, y'all. But look at the wording of uh, the words of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu I refer to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu companions. Why is that so? They were by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the purest of all hearts. No match. Yes? And they were the best of all the ummah, the purest of the heart. And they were having the depth of knowledge regarding the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The deepest of knowledge. The companions of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He was reaffirming what the Prophet sallallahu mentioned regarding the early generation, the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The best of all people is my generation. Then the ones to follow, and then the ones to follow. And then he started listing the great characteristics of the uh, companions of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu and then he gave an advice at the end. And I believe with all my heart that all the scholars of hadith who sacrificed their entire life to authenticate the words of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu were in some way, way following the advice of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu arda. In the, uh, at the end of the, uh, the, the quote of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, he encourages us to recognize the status of the companions, to recognize their values, subhanAllah al-Azim. Because he mentioned also in that quote that it was Allah who chose them to accompany the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu and cause victory to this deen. Without this generation, wallahi, my brothers and sisters in Islam, Islam would have never reached to us today. Never. With their sacrifices. And then, subhanAllah, generations after hundreds of years later, we want to listen to those so-called modernists? Is this our standard? SubhanAllah, I was reading an article the other day, uh, something called the Panaka. Anyone heard of this? Anyone heard of this? Anyone soccer, soccer yani fan? What is panaka? The penalty shoot that you, uh, those who yani, have seen any, uh, so, uh, I feel like people don't know what I'm talking about. It's soccer, man, football, man. Where are the Egyptians? 
So it's a penalty shoot in soccer where the player will run as if he's going to shoot the, the ball so strongly and instead he will chip it so it can, you know, go above the goalkeeper. It's a technique that now many players are using it. And subhanAllah, many people are debating that Messi is doing it better than uh, Karim Benzema or maybe Ronaldo or all these famous players. But actually, they never mention Paneka anymore. Who's Paneka? It's actually the player who invented that shot. Up until today, the commentators, they were referred this penalty shoot to Paneka. They will not say Messi anymore. They're still maintaining the person who invented that penalty shoot. SubhanAllah, when it comes to the deen, they wanted to forget about the past. Let us reinvent a new way of life. Doesn't work this way with Islam, my brothers and sisters. Is that We will never be guided except with the guidance of those who passed before us as per the advice of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. No guidance other than their guidance, wallah. And he said, so recognize their status following their footsteps. These are the people to be followed. These are the people to be followed, my brothers and sisters, if you really wanted to be guided. Now, I wanted to touch because uh, brother, uh, uh, my dear brother, Sheikh uh, Nasim gave me only 20 minutes. Look, I came from Perth, five hours flight, you know, with the delays and all that. You want to give me only 10 minutes. <laughs> um, the, let's, let's just go through you know, some of the techniques and the systems, uh, the manhaj that the scholars of hadith have came up with, subhanAllah, to ensure that what we are reading today about the Prophet is actually 100% authentic. And as uh, Shaykh Nasim mentioned, that these ahadith that were deemed inauthentic, they will also be honest about it. We will not hide it. We will also say that because there are a lot of work done about it also. A lot of work done about it to classify it inauthentic or otherwise. Um, you know, there are a few things uh, also I wanted to mention quickly, inshallah ta'ala. Just give me a second. that even during the time of the companions of the Prophet Muhammad Aisha it has been reported that she would reject some of the reports that the companions have about certain ahadith. And these ahadith came to be known actually as the objections of Aisha Not because she had any intention or to label them as uh, liars or having ill intention on Billah, but that shows you the care, the absolute care in investigating the words of the Prophet Muhammad So those modernists who are claiming that we do not investigate and that we are backward 1,400 years back, the companions of the Prophet Muhammad started that art of criticism and investigating authenticity. Way back before even Al-Bukhari and Muslim and all those who may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy upon them who collected all these ahadith for us and made it, made it easy for us to search those ahadith today and find them in a, in a structured manner, subhanAllah. Because get what, guess what? We are so messy, aren't we? Wallahi, we are so, we are so disorganized. Have you seen your shoes back? Outside? Have you seen them? Let's be honest about it. Have you seen our shoes? 
And at every masjid, we are disorganized. Now, do you want to find within hundreds of thousands of ahadith that which is authentic? Al-Bukhari made it easy for you. May Allah have mercy on you. Um, the, during the time of uh, the former president of Egypt, Muhammad Morsi, may Allah have mercy on him, he gave freedom to every single sect, every single individual to have a say. He gave him that freedom. You, you want to say whatever you want to say? Yalla. Here in national TVs, go on the stage, say whatever you want to say. And those modernists appear and they started casting these doubts about Islam. Not only about the Sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad, even about established obligations within the Quran like hijab. And those people will have no shame. Those who claim to be Muslims coming on TV say there is no such thing as hijab in the Quran. No shame. But this was an era that the Egyptians back then, during those one year or two years, they became confused about their own identity. What do we do? But there was a pattern that these so-called thinkers and modernists were always repeating in their debates with other mashayikh from Al-Azhar and other speakers here and there. And that pattern was highlighting the fact, because it's a fact, that the scholars of hadith or the Muslims care mostly about the isnad of the hadith, but not the wording of the hadith. Now, isnad is the chain of narrators who brought this report to us today. It's called isnad. The matn is the hadith itself, the wording of the hadith itself. So those people, I don't want to mention also their names. They don't deserve to be mentioned, Wallahi. Right, Habibi? Wallah, they don't deserve a mention. They used to say that we only care about who reported the hadith, but we don't investigate and criticize the matn itself, which is also a false claim. The first claim is true. We investigate who is reporting this hadith. We have a right to know who brought this word to us. But on the top of that, if we now go quickly a few points, inshallah, I will not mention everything, but a few points is to see the careful investigation to authenticate the wording of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Excuse me. Uh, scholars of hadith, for example, they, and the early generations even, even the early generations of the companions, they will go through the, the chain of narrators and they will go through the matn itself of the hadith and if they find something called, or they, they name all these things, shudhus, for example, hadith shad. What is hadith shad? A righteous man within the chain of narrators, a righteous man known for his righteousness, has reported something, but more righteous narrators have contradicted him. Look at the, look at the investigation here. So one man known for his righteousness, known for his goodness. The Ummah at that time witnessed for his righteousness. Yet group of other righteous narrators, maybe more known for their more piety and so on and so forth, have contradicted him in one part of that narration. The entire narration will be rejected. This is how careful these scholars have gone through the investigation and the criticism. So we are actually, alhamdulillah, 
يعني we are on a safe side as Sheikh Nasim was saying like we, we are absolutely the educators of this world we, we are actually giving those tips to others to follow I, uh, those who maybe follow some of my debates back in the days because I told you I was inspired by Sheikh Didat and the beginning was debating Christians I go and watch my old debates and see يعني, fighting on the stage subhanAllah but I was actually telling the Christians that I debated, why don't you follow that system? Let's put your book to the test according to these strategies that, you know, our scholars have put forth to authenticate ancient texts or ancient, ancient words. Look at the, the, the careful investigation. And another thing regarding the isnad or the chain of narrators, the main objective for the scholars of hadith to investigate the biography, they will go through the history of those narrators, by the way. And if they found a flaw in their character, this hadith does not deserve to be attributed to the Prophet Look at this. Look at this. And the main objective for that was what? Was to authenticate the matn itself, the wording itself. So you will go the hassle of studying all the life uh, of these people to bring us to the understanding that this hadith either authentic or not. A few more points, يعني, I hope, uh, inshallah, that was still within the time. Uh, but these are the three, four steps that I wanted to just mention just to uh, highlight this. Uh, when I actually uh, received, you know, Allah brother, um, Allah reward brother Ali, when he sent me the topic, I said, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. How could we talk about this in one يعني, day? Subhanallah, this should be a series of talks and subhanAllah, I was so worried to come before you today to speak about this in such a short time because it's a very technical topic to deal with. But subhanAllah, as I was listening to the passion of uh, Shaykh Khalid, mashaAllah, tabarakAllah, Shaykh Naseem, I said Allah had given me a chance to defend my deen, man. We've been bombarded by those guys, those ignorant, talking about our religion. And many of our youths, they don't, because they don't understand, they don't have the depth of the knowledge yet of the deen, they sometimes get misled by, the, by their statements. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you for the opportunities. But look at this. They investigate the narrator, one of them. If he was known for his righteous and truthfulness... If the people witness for his goodness, then they will listen to that person and they might take the hadith from him as authentic. If the hadith that they have listened to have no chain of narrators, the hadith doesn't carry any weight for them. Look at the, look at the, the system they have investi- uh, uh, developed. They will investigate the rest of the narrators of that specific hadith. If all of them were proven by the end of the investigation, then the study that they were trusted known for their goodness, honesty, integrity, and so on, then they will take the hadith. However, if one of them within those chain of narration was proven otherwise, the hadith is not to be accepted. If all the narrators of the hadith were proven righteous, honest, and so on, then scholars of the hadith will investigate even further, even further, if there were any issues within the matn now, within the hadith itself, that is considered, uh, you know, in the ilm of hadith, uh, has got some ilal or, you know, inqita' or irsal, which like, for example, to make it very super simple, if a tabi'i, a tabi'i is a person who met the companion of the Prophet Muhammad 
He didn't meet the Prophet ﷺ at all, but they met the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. They accepted Islam and they died upon Islam. That's the definition of a tabi'i. So if you find sometimes a hadith say that a name of a tabi'i saying that I heard the Prophet ﷺ saying, or the Prophet ﷺ saying, then how could that tabi'i who never met the Prophet ﷺ say that the Prophet said anything? So that hadith would be what? That's it, finished. No more. No more discussion about it because the hadith has got illa. So if all the chain of narrators is correct, but one of them has got this issue, then the whole hadith will be rejected. My brothers and sisters, Islam, I will yani, end by telling you uh, a final advice, bi'idhmillahi ta'ala. The advice that I always tell my students at the school that I'm teaching in Perth, I always tell them, ground yourself about your aqidah. Ground yourself, my, my brothers, I, I enjoyed my time fully today in Wollongong, mashallah, my first time in Wollongong. Was it my first time in Wollongong or did you take me there? We were debating this this morning. Some people, they saw someone look like me, perhaps Andrew Tate. But, <laughs> but subhanAllah al I enjoyed my time there, beautiful place, mashallah, and I met wonderful, wonderful young boys and girls that I uh, spend quality time with them today, and I, wallahi, I witnessed the goodness that can come out of these guys. And to them, because I have seen many of them today, inshallah, mashallah, I'm so glad that you came attending this topic. Allah, I can't fathom. 12 years, 13 years, 14 years attending a topic that difficult. Even for Tullab al-Ilm, this is something very, very complicated. But mashallah, they are here enjoying taking notes, Allahu Akbar. To them, I say, Ground yourself about aqidah. Know exactly what are the requirements for you to be saved, my boys and girls, my brothers and sisters in Islam. On the top of that, let no one be your role model except one. Muhammad Simple. And you will never be able to study his life except by going to those hadith that our scholars died literally died to bring these authentic narrations to us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the right understanding. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala open our hearts to the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to the Quran and to the sunnah, the beautiful sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu and cause us to die upon it. Ameen, ameen, ameen. Jazakumullah khayran. Subhanakullahumma bihamdik. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa anastaghfiruka wa anatubu ilaha. alhamdulillah. Wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Uh, so inshallah my topic uh, or my section of the talk is the tools that the modernists use to attack the sunnah and um, the, yeah, the, the author of the research he mentioned four things that, uh, that the modernists use. First is they attack the, the foundations of the study of the sunnah. The second is the uh, they, they attack the historical context of the Sunnah. The third is reinterpreting the Sunnah. Uh, uh, fourth is they try to uh, break down, uh, yeah, they break down the Sunnah. Uh, actually, and and the fifth is using unorthodox or neglected issues to try to delegitimize using the sunnah. So there are actually there are five issues. 
Um, so inshallah, we'll go yani, quickly through them since we are pressed for time. Um, so to introduce, the problem begins with looking at the sunnah, uh, first of all, in a humanistic way. That they don't look at the sunnah as a holy source. They look at the sunnah as just a, yani a normal text, like any other text. And they, the second issue is they look at the sunnah in the same way they look at like any historical report or linguistic or literal text or a text of literature. <coughs> and so they analyze the sunnah or the hadiths in that, with that perspective. Not as a normal Muslim would look at the hadith. When a normal Muslim looks at the hadith, there is a holiness to that hadith. Because a Muslim believes that the hadith comes from a divine origin. And does not interpret the hadith as they would interpret you know, a story or a historical event. But the modernists, they say, no, we have to look at hadith that we can't guarantee that it is divine. Uh, it's, it's of human you know, origin. And as well, the second issue, as we said, is that they treat it like any other uh, yani text, whether it's a historical report or a linguistic uh, text or a, uh, a text of literature. And as well, by the way, not only in hadith, they treat the Qur'an in the same way as well. So why do they do this? They remove any holiness or honor that a Muslim has for the text. And to break down the, the idea of reading the text from a faith-based perspective. And to break down the text from a cultural and ideological perspective. Uh, and then by criticizing the traditional text, and thereby, as we said, by, by rem removing the divine aspect or the holiness of the text and treating it again, as a human-based uh, uh, issue and treating it like any other uh, uh, literature, then they... Uh, subject it to criticism and either we accept it or we reject it based on interpreting the text and if textually possible uh, yani to uh, uh, they interpret it far, far from the apparent or the intended purpose and they reach a far off meaning in the interpretation of the text and so their so called reading or analysis of the Islamic text that actually use it as a weapon to confront or attack, or attack the sunnah itself. So even when they use the hadith, or they say that they're reading or interpret or, 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 um, or analyzing the hadith, they're actually, in fact, they're only using it to serve their agenda in undermining the hadith. Okay, so as we said, the first thing that they do is that they... Um, uh, they the, the attack the foundations. Okay, so they, they analyze or they study the foundations of the sunnah and the hadith to attack it. So just as in Western um, uh, studies of criticism of texts, they analyze the foundations, they study Islamic culture as Muslims understand it. Uh, they look at the historical analysis and they criticize it from a historical perspective and as well the ideological role uh, that affected in society. So they don't uh, yani, uh, yani, um, accept the text as it is, but they take it in a historical context and as well the, the ideological uh, benefit of the text. And inshallah, yani, I'll explain more to that and, and we'll see how uh, 
through these methods, they undermine actually the hadith and they attack the hadith. So from a foundational uh, perspective, they look at the language of the text. So when they come to a hadith, they just look at it from, a, from the aspect of, of the language or the linguistics of it. And then they'll go to the individual words. And they don't see, they don't like, as normally Muslims, when we look at hadith, we look at what the text is saying or who said the text. Rather, the way that the modernists would interpret the hadith when they so-called read the hadith is how did he say this statement that he said? And so they will try, even though hadith might be saying something, but, they, but then they try to undermine that, uh, what he said by saying, by interpreting it in how it was said. And some of the modernists use this to serve their own ethics, uh, to, to derive ethics or the spirit of Islam. Like they'll uh, yani interpret a, a, yani a body of hadith and they say, well, the, the ethics of Islam or the spirit of Islam has, we derive from it, you know, certain ethics, like the ethics of justice, of unity, of freedom, of logic, that these are uh, ethics that Islam promotes. And therefore, they interpret hadith based on these principles and interpret it to serve, uh, yeah, and under the guise of these principles, to serve the agenda that they want to promote. The goal of this way of interpreting the language of the hadith and to make a linguistic analysis is to have multiple interpretations for the hadith. And so they, re so they would read a specific text based on this general understanding and the result in the interpretation that serves their own ideology or cultural understanding that or, or agenda that they want to prove or promote the result is uh, uh, in uh, so the, the result is is that they use their mind or logic or opinion to accept or reject or understand or uh, yeah, any, uh, or twist the hadith to serve their agenda and what this results in is that it gives a license to the mind to interpret the text as they wish and the text follows their mind and orbits around uh, their faulty and limited understanding. The relationship between language and text. Language uh, in, in ancient times or in, uh, yeah, in, in historically or in modern times is seen as the vehicle to understand the text. And so deep understanding of language is a condition uh, of being, uh, yani, and the scholars have said, yani, for example, that a condition of being a scholar of tafsir, for example, or a scholar of fiqh is to have a deep understanding of uh, language, even when it comes to the understanding of, of hadith, rating hadith in its meaning. So based on this is that what, what the modernists say is that text can be interpreted to be applied to other situations other than what the text applies. For example, what they say is that riba that has been mentioned in the Islamic text, in the Quran, in the Sunnah, they say, okay, what was the definition of riba in those times? They say that the definition of riba in those days was, is what we call, in our modern terms, simple interest. For those who studied mathematics or you know, they have the understanding of simple interest, which is when you take a loan, that you pay back the loan after a specified time with a specified increase. And they say this was the riba of the understanding. So the riba that was 
Forbidden is the simple interest riba because that's what the definition of that word is in those times. So they say that uh, riba was uh, the riba of old or in the, what is mentioned in the traditional text is simple interest. So one specific increase over time. But now simple, uh, simple interest is obsolete. No one deals in simple interest anymore. So if you take, for example, a bank loan, they don't give you simple interest. It's, they charge you what? Who knows? Compound interest, mashallah. So we haven't lost everyone yet. All right. So they say, well, no one uses simple interest anymore. What they use now is compound interest. So what's haram is simple interest. Compound interest isn't haram, so it's okay. All right. So based on this, yani playing with the language or interpreting the language to serve their to serve their interests. So they say now simple interest is obsolete. Compound interest is universally used. And it's not haram as all transactions because they, mashallah, they say, you know, the basis in Islam is that all transactions are halal. And since it's only simple interest that's haram, compound interest is, is what's used universally. And so it goes along that, yani, that standard the principle that all transactions are halal. As well, the Quran and, uh, the Quran and Sunnah were revealed in Arabic and, and to understand as they understood it, in its historical uh, and its historical and culturally appropriate context, so they say, okay, the Quran and Sunnah was revealed at, in that time, in that cultural context, and so we should understand it in that context only. So what they say is that we need a rereading of the Quran and the Sunnah in the light of our cultural and historic reality now, and to make it. Uh, to make it uh, uh, to, uh, to make it modern, to make it understandable. Uh, for example, you know they say an example that the that the author mentioned was that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala mentioned Surah Al-Adiyat, and Al-Adiyat means you know the steeds of war, the horses that charge in the war. Okay, but they said no, we have to interpret it in the modern times. There's no horses charging now, so we have tanks. You know, and th th those are the, the the means of warfare in these days. Okay, so criticism of the of the this foundational uh, interpretation of the hadith, or the way that they try to undermine the hadith by this foundational interpretation, uh, they say that language changes over time, and names change. Uh, and the names of things change, but the meaning stays the same. For example, the word khamar, okay, but if, if the word khamar is changed to, like instead of calling it khamar, they call it alcoholic drinks or spirit drinks, it's still, it's still haram. You know, it's, so we can't use language as the only way to yani, interpret the text, but we have to look at yani, the meaning. Yani, al ibra uh, 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 no. For the second thing is that language interpretation is is uh, applying opinion on the text. So when you want to interpret a text based on language, it's your opinion on the definition of that of that word. And so this is rejected because it allows the limited to apply on the unlimited and the changing to apply on the constant and. Uh, and the partial to uh, to rule over the total, and and this is logically rejected, uh, and as well or, or or 
if we allow the language to interpret the text, then we're allowing the secondary to rule over the primary. And this is logically rejected. And logic is the base of modernistic thought. So how can we, that, that would be a contradiction, uh, yeah, I need to allow uh, that linguistical interpretation of the text in that way. The third thing is that it makes Islamic text changeable and not definite, and based on opinion and interpretation of the reader. And this is in reality what the, yani, the modernists want to get to. Uh, the second uh, way that the, or the tool that the uh, modernists use to undermine the Sunnah is through historical criticism of the Sunnah. And that is pretty much by saying that the Quran and Sunnah was valid. Uh, yani, uh, as Muslims, we know and we believe that the Quran and Sunnah is valid for all times and places because it is the last and final revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But with this here's, uh, uh, historical criticism of the Sunnah, they try to undermine the, uh, yani the, the, um, the veracity of the Quran, the Sunnah, and the Islamic texts. Uh, and they say that, it, that it, that interpretation is not suitable for the present and the future. Okay, but what we say is that the Islamic texts are suitable for the present and the future, just as they were, they were valid for the preceding 14 generations. Yani why is this, yani, uh, if they say that the Quran and the Sunnah were only valid for the time and the place that they were revealed. But for 1400 years, people have been following that tradition and it hasn't been an issue. Yani just as it's been valid for those 1400 generations, not only for the generation or the time that was revealed, so likewise, um, it is still valid. But the, uh, the, the modernists among the Muslims today, especially the, uh, yani the, Arab, nation, uh, the Arab modernists, sorry, yani they're in reality following the Western modernists. And they say that the Quran and the Sunnah are not suitable and applicable for this time and place, but rather they were suitable only for their time and place of revelation. And they divided the Sunnah into two types, the Sunnah of revelation, and that is the Sunnah that describes details mentioned that, that elaborate on the general instructions of the Qur'an. So, for example, uh, Salah that's mentioned in the Qur'an, the Sunnah that comes to explain the worships and the rituals, that's okay, that yani, we can interpret the Sunnah, uh, that, that's still valid to interpret it as it is. But when it comes to Sunnah of habits, which is anything other than ritual worships, then we don't go back to the traditional understanding um, but rather we interpret uh, those aspects of the Sunnah according to the society or the time in history that you were in. So therefore, yani, in that way, they say that uh, anything other than the ritual worships is not binding upon the Muslim to follow. So the historical context, uh, uh, really what they are saying is that the religious text is a byproduct of the cultural uh, historical context that they were in. And the historical context is the language in which the text is transmitted. And so, uh, and so it shouldn't be taken literally just as uh, uh, you know, language communicates the meaning, the historical context uh, communicates the meaning to us. And so it's, we should just take the meaning of general gist and apply to what is suitable. Just like, for example, you would speak in a language that's suitable for your understanding as well. You would interpret the rulings according to your historical situation or your historical reality now. So, um, 
the historical context and uh, another aspect in which they try to undermine uh, the text through historical context is using the basis of nasakh or abrogation in Islam. And they use the basis of nasakh or abrogation in justifying historically inter historical interpretation of the text and, ap uh, histor uh, and applying text according to a person's cultural or historical context. And what they argue is that if abrogation occurred during the time of revelation, which was only a period of 23 years, rulings changed and interpretations changed. Then how about after 1,400 years and in our current times? And, and, they, and they argue that the occurrence of abrogation proves that the texts, that the religious texts are not absolute and rather they change due to time and place and the, and the situation, the cultural or political situation. Therefore, we have that uh, uh, يعني, uh, sort of allowance to make those changes also. Obviously, there's obvious reasons why this is wrong because the abrogation occurred يعني, with authority from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not up to people's individual interpretations. Anyway, they say that nasakh or, or, or abrogation makes one doubt in the absoluteness of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And the Qur'an that is not changed in absolute is the Qur'an in Lawh al-Mahfuz. As for the Qur'an that we have in our hands, then this is yani, uh, not something that's definite. So, uh, uh, as well, uh, uh, they come to the conclusion that the traditional text is a byproduct of the historical reality and they, and, and, and they change and change in, in the reality of the situation means a changing in the ruling. And the Qur'an was revealed according to situations. Uh, and therefore, you know, depending on situations, the ruling should also, should also change. And as well, they go into this discussion of do we take you know, do we go into you know, uh, uh, do we take rulings based on the general um, the, the general statements or due to the specific conditions as we know that a lot of the verses of the Quran hadith were revealed due to specific situations so can we derive a general ruling from a specific situation uh, so the conclusion of this is that the text uh, so, so what the, what conclusion they want to derive from this is that the text is not beneficial beyond the time and place of its revelation, and and they uh, as well what they argue is that the text, the traditional text, cannot solve new problems if we just stick to them, but rather we have to have a modern interpretation for them. But what we say is that yes, we must honor the general interpretation, but the specific situation in which they were revealed help us to understand and apply. The general principles, just as well, like in in modern laws as well, when they look at laws and when they want to apply their laws, they look at the context in which the laws were legislated in the first place to understand the application. Um, so, one of the practical ways in which they, yani, uh, use this is especially when it comes to the uh, Islamic rulings regarding women. And they say that the rulings that the Sharia has come with in the Quran and the Sunnah uh, in terms of the rulings for women were good for that time because they gave women inheritance and hijab and equality and so on. But يعني, it, it doesn't mean that it's specific, يعني, that, that it should, those same rulings should carry on until now. They were good for those times, what we have to 
change them for these times. As well, when it comes to rulings of riba and so on. Um, so, uh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, the, the last thing, inshallah, that I, I want to, to speak on is uh, the issue of a ta'wil or reinterpretation of the text. And again, since they say that the basic of the text is linguistical or language, so they uh, yani use the interpreting or twisting or reinterpreting the words and redefining words, which ta'wil means redefining words and taking them from their apparent meaning to apply a secondary meaning that suits the context. And so they use this issue of ta'wil or reinterpretation to reinterpret the traditional text. And the goal is to use this so-called interpretation to, move, to remove the holiness of the hadith. And they use as proof, for example, in terms of interpretation, and that interpretation could be used to uh, pretty much uh, in, uh, uh, um, uh, undermine apparent rulings is, for example, uh, what happened in the time of Umar radiallahu anhu when he stopped the ruling of cutting the hand of the thief during the time of the famine because people were so desperate. So he upholded that, ap applying those rules in that time or cancelling the right of the zakat for the mu'allafati qulubuhum or the entitlement of zakat for the mu'allafati qulubuhum. So they say, well, if Umar radiallahu anhu had yani, uh, yani changed these rulings depending on the situation. So we're allowed to change the rulings depending on our situation. But this obviously, and the scholars have made it, yani, extensive response to that, and that this is not changing the ruling, but rather those rulings did not apply in those situations because of the conditions that they're in. It's not changing or abandoning the rulings. So, um, yani, these are some of the tools that the modernists use to undermine the sunnah. Uh, there are other things, as, yeah, as we said, which is breaking down the idea of the sunnah. And as well, one last thing as well, the last point, as we said, is relying on unorthodox or rejected issues to undermine the sunnah. And this is as well another, another issue, bringing branch issues to make people have doubt or question the sunnah, to make, uh, yeah, in the end, to make the sunnah uh, lose its holiness and lose its validity and make it something sort of optional or even rejected and okay for a person to neglect and to have an alternate understanding or modernist understanding. So, Yanni, we have to be aware of these tactics because we might think that, Yanni, uh, yani, it's something that is not, you know, it's not, it doesn't have a reality in our life. But the more and more we see that aspects of modernism are being pushed on the Muslims from time to time and in different ways. And so we have to be aware of these tactics and these tools that are used to protect ourselves from falling into these modernistic um, uh, interpretations that will really take us away from the reality of our deen. And as we mentioned earlier, is that yani, uh, these are really tools that... Uh, want to take us away from the traditional understanding of our Islam and really to have and adopt a Western understanding of Islam and to do with Islam what was done with the previous religions, what was done with Christianity and what was done with other religions. And subhanAllah, where did it take them? And where did this so-called modernistic and, and uh, yani understanding take the Western culture altogether? And definitely we don't want to fall into those trap holes, but rather we believe as Muslims is that the best solution for mankind is 
the, the solution that the creator of mankind made for mankind. And in what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has instructed us in the revelation, in the traditions that we have as Muslims in the Quran and the Sunnah, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to keep us steadfast upon the Quran and the Sunnah and to protect us from the deviations that are apparent and the deviations that are subtle. Wallahu alam This program was presented by Al Bayan Radio, the voice of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah.